Okay, well, hello everybody out there. I am your host, John McLean, and I'm going to welcome you to the very first episode of Arms Corp Presents... As I said, my name is John McLean. I am one of the team shooters for uh, Team Arms Corps, along with uh, the National Product Training Manager for Rock Island Army and Arms Corps. And I am very, very blessed, as my very first guest, to have a great friend on board with me, Miss Julie Glosky. And Julie, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Or Ju- no, Julie Gollop? Julie Gollop. What, what do you go by anyway anymore? <laughs> My last name is Gollum. My married name is Goloski, but I just dropped the ski and added a B. Got it. Okay. See, so <laughs> you, you confuse me. Cause, see, that's the problem. I, I know you too well, and I'm like, wait, Julie Gollum, that sounds like an old name. <laughs> it's true. Like, people who know me from back when know the old name, but it's really my new name is not is actually kind of old now, so it's all good. It's all good. Yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> Julie well, G. <laughs> <laughs> Julie G. <laughs> Either way. Uh, okay, so Julie, tell everyone just a little bit about you and uh, some of the things that you've accomplished. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be among your first guests on your on your podcast. Um, I'm Julie Golub. I'm a professional competition shooter. I've traveled the world competing in practical shooting and action pistol, and I've enjoyed a, a long career. It started shooting with my dad when I was just 14 years old, and then eventually I joined the Army Marksmanship Unit. And now I get to do what I love as a pro shooter, so it's been a, a fun, fun journey. And along the way, I got to meet John. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's where she regretted it all. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Not at so, all. So, yeah, we, we were actually just kind of discussing before we even started recording here how long it's been since we actually got a chance to shoot with each other. It's been a while. It's been too long, actually. And, and we're basically neighbors, so there's no excuse for it. We really are. Yeah, you're like an hour down the road from me now. And, uh, but obviously, you're, you're in a very interesting circumstance uh, with your family and stuff, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. Like, I can't just come swing by and have beers and stuff like that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I do want to give you an opportunity real quick, because but, but before we get too uh, into this, I do want to give you an opportunity... To kind of give everyone out there uh, a brief rundown of this uh, terrible, terrible, disgusting disease that uh, your family has to deal with and uh, bring some awareness to it. So I'm going to give you the the floor here for a bit and you can kind of shed some light on the situation. Well, I appreciate that. So I've been shooting with John forever. um, And uh, when my daughter turned, gosh... Uh, we learned that she had a very rare disease called juvenile dermatomyositis. It's a mouthful. And what happens is the immune system starts to attack the body, the muscles in particular. So we've been on a fun journey of lots of infusions and trips to Children's Mercy Hospital and all of that. It's been quite a ride, (laughs) but we are doing very well. She's doing very well. And if you want to learn more about it, you can visit curejm.org. Perfect, perfect, and and uh, one of the things I want to discuss too, and so remind me if we don't, if I if I get off track about it, was the awesome trip you got to take your kiddo on, uh, as far as the the elk hunt goes. So so we'll talk about that, sure, uh, a little bit down there. Now um, I do want to start off with, so the, you know the idea behind this podcast was that I didn't want it to be something super specific to just one brand. Uh, I yeah. wanted it to be for all my friends and all in, in the industry and guests and stuff to be able to talk about whatever. So. You obviously shoot for for Smith and Wesson. Uh, you have as long as I've known you. 
Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you were on Team Glock, correct? Correct. And then prior to that was AMU. Yes. Yes. Okay. So prior to that the, was mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I want to get to here. The first thing, first thing I want to bring up is as a, as a female at the time that we were then, obviously things have changed in the world we are in today, but Absolutely. Um, back then, what was it about firearms that got you interested in them? And then how did that kind of progress? Sure. So my dad hunted and shot all it's guns were always a part of our lives. So we, you know, as a, as one of three kids, that was just something that we knew dad went hunting in the fall. And sometimes we'd go planking with him on the range and that sort of thing. Um, but in the late eighties and early nineties, he discovered this amazing sport called IPSC or USPSA. And so he started going to these matches and I, started to go along with him. And and what really drew me to the shooting sports was the fact that even as a young girl at the range, I was treated like an adult. I was treated completely different than everywhere else. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun because I started to learn how to be a range officer, be helpful on the range, and then eventually learn how to shoot. And it, I know it sounds cliche, but it's really the people that got me started in the shooting sports. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So so you, you you go to the match, you kind of get that experience of, of yeah. seeing what it's like. Because I mean, I'm, I remember my first match experience being like surrounded by, I, I think I had a lawyer, I had a guy that worked for the trash company, <laughs> I had, um, uh, you know, just, just I, all walks of life were showing up, Absolutely. we're all squatted together. So was it when you first got to watch your dad shooting the sport, or was it the first time you actually got behind a gun and pulled the trigger when you got hooked? So... What's way back when, um, there weren't even area championships when I got started and our local club hosted one of the big eight matches of the year. There were basically only eight of them (laughs) and it was the last match leading up to the USPSA nationals. It was called the Miller Invitational, actually sponsored by Miller Brewery Company. (laughs) It was a really big deal. Um, and it was there, you know, we, we would shoot and dad would shoot local matches, but every August, everybody that was anybody in the shooting sports, Rob Latham, Jerry Michalik, Doug Koenig, you know, you name it, they all came to the Miller Invitational. And so these people became my superstars, the, the people that I looked up to as a teenager, because I saw them every summer and I f- started to follow them in the magazines and stuff like that. So I knew that when I became a teenager, after all those years working with my dad, I'm like, you know what? I want to be like them. And so that kind of put me on the journey. And it was hard at first. I I was very slow. I like to be super accurate. I want to be the girl who shot all A's all the time. But then eventually I got better and better. And I went to my first nationals as a junior in high school. So from, from the aspect of, of, or from, from your aspect as, as a lady and in the firearms industry, like what are some of the conversations you have with people that hit you up and say, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm starting to kind of get interested in firearms or I've been looking into maybe buying one. What are some of the things that you talk about or, or you find that you have a conversation about on a very often basis? Sure. I think the the biggest thing that when I do have a discussion about firearms with people is the fact that even all these 30 years that I've been shooting, never have we been more interested than we are now and more resources are available than ever. So thanks to social media, you can go out there and look at and anybody shooting bullseye to what we do, right? And 
from there, you have concealed carry, you have people who are interested in home and self-defense. And what impresses me the most about the generation of gun owners that we have today is how interested they are at being proficient. So you and I, as competitors, you know, we can tell instantly someone's level of experience by how they handle a firearm. And when you compete, there's a certain way you do things. But now we're starting to see everyday gun owners really emphasize firearm safety and do things more like the way we've been doing them for many, many years. And it's really a really neat thing to see. You know, I think that, yeah, because I looking back on it, I remember watching YouTube back before ads were on YouTube videos and... God, I, I actually I had, I had a chance to shoot with uh, Todd Jarrett at uh, last couple of nationals we had PCC nationals I think was the last and I remember I, I was talking to him about the fact that he was probably one of my first firearms instructors ever because I found like four videos of him on YouTube yeah. uh, when when he did some videos for Blackhawk at the time and uh, and now you you can type into YouTube how to shoot and it's like <laughs> you're inundated uh, yeah <laughs> wade through it all <laughs> and, and unfortunately yeah. though you know the one thing too is i noticed that because sometimes i watch some of the videos and then i'll, I'll listen to someone say something and i'm like wrong, <laughs> wrong. Nope, <that's laughs> yes wrong. yes I, yes obviously i keep that opinion to myself because i got i got better things to do with my time than than get into arguments online um, true but yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. I do, I do think, yeah, the the amount of information that's out there that is good information uh, really does help build a new community that, especially important, talks about the firearm safety. I think most videos that you see, that's almost one of the, the surefire things that they cover is let's make sure we stay safe, make sure the gun's unloaded or, or whatever it is they need to do. Um, yeah. So, okay. Now, when we talk about someone brand new getting into firearms and all that kind of stuff. What do you suggest someone that is just getting into firearms? How do they get started? Like, cause I know I've had conversations with people behind gun counters and I've done it as a newbie and I've also done it as an experienced person. And yeah. that's not always the best way to go. Cause sometimes they, they just want to get product off the shelf. So like, <laughs> you know, sometimes they're like, Hey, what's a good gun? They're like, Oh, you should definitely take this super subcompact 45 <laughs> ACP. That's going to be the, the best thing ever you know yeah so what is it if you if you were to kind of walk someone through that process of becoming a firearms owner uh what are some of the things you would teach them like what questions would you teach them to ask someone or, or you know how would you suggest someone go about that well, I think it starts with understanding what the purpose of their particular firearm is. I mean, somebody who's just wanting to, you know, go hunt deer with a rifle is completely different from somebody who's wanting to get involved in shooting sports, from somebody who's wanting to, you know, protect their home. And so understanding what that purpose is and the ultimate goal, whether they plan to carry concealed or whether it's something that they just want to do recreationally, knowing that is very important. And then, unfortunately, but fortunately, there are so many options out there, right? It's like, it, you can't throw a rock and not hit a nine millimeter, right? There's so, there's so many. Um, but this is why it's important to get range experience before you buy. The more firearms that you can try in a safe environment, get training, um, the better, because that way you'll be able to make the best decision for you, or you can end up a lot like us and just have many. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's, 
Oh, the, the, the difference, though, for us, I think, as opposed to most of I mean, I know a lot of people that they have, like, one of every firearm from every company of every... Uh, I bet your safe is mostly full of Smith & Wessons, like mine's full of Rock Island Armories. <laughs> True. <laughs> True, but it's, I do diversify at times. I do, so. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah, I've actually started doing a thing where, like, I kind of do these prize gun reviews where, you know, maybe some I can't sell the gun or something like that. No one's interested in it, so I've just been like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to take it, and I'm going to do a Absolutely. video about it. So, now, let's, let's do talk about guns, because i got to say this. From the Rock Island side, we we had a version of a firearm come out that was the SDK 100 and kind of copied a polymer gun that we made into a metal one. And Smith & Wesson just came out with an all-new metal one, didn't you? We did. We actually have a couple. Um, We have a a regular-sized... Um, you know, five inch gun, I'm sorry, four and a half inch gun. And then we have uh, an MMP competitor, which is basically a souped up race gun style MMP. That's all metal. And it's optics ready. If I, if I'm optics ready, mag, well, mag button, all the little things that you spend lots of money on afterwards, (laughs) you know, all those aftermarket parts, we just stuck them on the whole gun. So it's fun. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, um, let, let me ask you this. So from, from the, that kind of standpoint, when you start talking about optics on some of these, I mean, because there's, it seems to be that that's starting to become a thing that like, if your gun doesn't come optics ready, then you're behind the curve. You're a, right. you're an old school FUD and all that right. kind of stuff, right? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> as far as optics goes, are you for or against using optics on a, uh, when teaching a brand new shooter? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, again, I think it comes down to ultimate goal. Personally, I'm old school and I think that you should learn how to shoot iron sights first, but considering how everything is going and the vast majority of people are going to put a red dot on their, their firearms, regardless of whether they're going to shoot competition and carry optics, biggest division, right? Or if they're going to carry, they're so popular right now and they're so durable and they're so different than they were 30 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that, I, I don't mind so much if they if they want to start out with a dot. But part of me inside cringes a little because I had to start with irons. <laughs> See, so, yeah, I'm in the same boat. And I feel like um, I've, I've had conversations with other people. Because like, I know some people say that the best division to start in when they want to get into competition shooting is open. Uh, which I'm like, wow, you must have a lot of money if you want to get right. started on that, right? Like, hey, let, let me invest $8,000 in a bunch of gear on a sport that I've never tried before and see if I like it. But yeah. the argument that, that I've had, or it's not an argument, but the discussions that we've had, right? And and we'll see if this changes your, or if I'm sure you'll understand from the, the viewpoint that I'm about to present to you. But what they suggested was that by starting someone on a dot, what you basically teach them is that the the only thing they really need to focus on is a good trigger pull. And because all they have to focus on is the trigger, because you put the dot on the target is the dot on the target. Yeah. Okay. Trigger, trigger, trigger. All right. Versus the iron sights. When I was learning, it was like, okay, make sure the front sights align with the rear side. Is it lined up? Is it in the, in the notch? So you're trying to process a whole lot more information on top of focusing on a, on a good trigger pull. So now that I've said that, what's, What's your unbiased opinion? Not the because uh, I'm I'm the same way. I think iron sights are invaluable to know how to shoot, and I think I, I even prefer them still. But I also understand the other side because with with Scarlett, when I started teaching her how to shoot, it was way easier just putting her behind a scope and saying, you know, 
put the dot on the target and squeeze the trigger. So, absolutely, no, and and trust you me, my daughters are learning with a dot first because it's easier, it's faster, and it's it's more fun, right? However, I will say that there are still ways that you can teach somebody to shoot iron sights and remove the distraction of the drifting sights by having them shoot from a supported position first, right? So then they learn to feel what the trigger feels like. So there are ways around it. Um, but, you know, with the popularity of them, uh, I would say that, you know, dots are probably going to be the best way to go. But if you don't have one, you can still learn how to shoot great, right? And that's the big thing. So... Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. See, that's why I said it. I was like, after I say this, I mean, we're both going to agree and then also have yes. our own bias of being like, well. Of course. But when you think about it, like if you go to your local firearm dealer, your local gun shop, and you buy a gun, the chances of your pistol being less expensive than the red dot that you're going to buy for it are pretty significant, right? And so if it's an investment question, you can still learn how to shoot and be very, very competent. And if you learn with irons, red dots are going to be easy and you're, that transition is going to be fine. So you're, you're starting out with a really good foundation. It may be a little tougher. It's like learning to drive with a stick, right? Once you learn to drive with a stick, you can drive anything, the Porsche or the Nissan Sentra or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. I, no, and, and no, I mean, I still think too, from, yeah, from, from my personal experience, I just, I enjoy shooting iron sights more than a dot. Granted, I don't have a lot of time behind a dot. Maybe if I like dedicated myself to a year of shooting a dot, maybe that would change. But I'll say this, I'll, you didn't, you didn't come to carry optics nationals this last year. I didn't know. <clears throat> I decided to go like two weeks before the match <laughs> and I go out to that match to find out that there are a hundred grandmasters over a hundred ma- I mean, 50% of the match was masters and grandmasters. I found out in a very humbling way that I'm not a grandmaster red dot shooter. <laughs> I you got could be my butt time. handed to me. I got my butt handed to me. Well, but you're coming from a place of, and here's the thing, you're at the tip top of the iron sight game, right? And so there are less people at that level because it is harder, right? And it is easier to make GM with a dot gun, especially in carry optics. Maybe not so much an open with the equipment challenges and everything else, but it's just like steel challenge. It's easier to become a grandmaster in rimfire because it's an easier gun. So us iron sight shooters, are, right? we, we shoot harder guns, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> I appreciate you uh, trying to badge my uh, bandage my ego up like that. No, I got I got my butt kicked. I'm just going to come out and say it. It was Fair a very enough. humbling experience. But yeah, but I'll say this: it it had been a long time since uh, I had an experience at a major match where I was like almost embarrassed for the award ceremony. It's like I don't know if I want to show my face at this match, like or at the award ceremony after my performance. It was a different experience in, in that way. Kind of helped to reignite kind of a little fire saying like, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time to, to put some more work in and uh, get out to the range. Stop goofing around so much with Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I still do it for the gram, right? But Of course. Of course. Now, so um, you you haven't been shooting very many matches lately, which is sad. But you do still shoot the occasional match and Bianchi. That's the, the big one that you're trying to drag me to. Um, when, when is that match anyway? It's always, uh, the weekend before Memorial day. 
Okay. And that, ma- I mean, that's a very different match as far as the setup goes from what we're used to in USPSA. So for those that are uh, that, uh, unfamiliar with Bianchi Cup, can you give them a brief rundown of like how many days it is, the stages and courses of fire and stuff like that? Sure. The event goes across anywhere from two to three days, depending on the year and the number of competitors. And it's a fixed event with four stages of fire. Now, they're big stages. They're 48 rounds apiece, and there are lots of strings within those stages. Um, but it's a much more accuracy-intense match than USPSA or IPSC or IDPA because you shoot from 10 yards all the way out to 50 yards. And your X-ring on your target is only four inches. Uh, there's steel. There's a moving target event. There's barricades. Uh, it's, it's a very, very challenging course of fire. What's funny is it's, I feel like somebody like you would do really, really well there because you have the visual patience and obviously the trigger control skills. But a lot of people who have come from other shooting sports to try Bianchi have tried it once and left because they don't know or understand that they have to shoot a different pace. So in most shooting sports, you walk up to the line, you're given a, you know, a, a, a walkthrough and then the command's low to make ready and you shoot your plan and that's it. Well, at Bianchi, everything's timed very specifically. So in some stages, you're waiting for your, your fellow uh, line mates to, to finish shooting a string and when they're ready to shoot again, that's when you can shoot. Or if you're shooting the moving target event, you actually control your pace 100%. And that's that's a different game for a lot of us who are used to being told what to do and only have to do it for less than 20 seconds. So <laughs> it's tough. It's a, it's a tough match. Uh, yeah, and again, I appreciate <laughs> you uh, saying those kind words about my my accuracy and visual patience. We won't talk about how many messes I had <laughs> at the last nationals. Then. But you called them. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, is there a way to practice for that match? Yes. Um, there are actually several clubs around the country, um, a couple here in Missouri and then scattered around. Um, but the, the good thing is if, if you have access to a plate rack or if you have access to a 50-yard range, um, you can practice a lot of these courses of fire, the two major ones, plates and, and practical, and then find a barricade and practice the barricade event. So the only one that's challenging to find a place to shoot is the moving target event. Um, but if you're coming from a sport where you're used to shoot, shooting moving targets, once you understand your lead points for the distances, it, it's not as hard as, as it is for someone who's been shooting precision all their life and going, oh my gosh, the target is moving, right? <laughs> that doesn't bother us so much, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, if I were to come with you, obviously I want to go to the match. I I want to experience it. I mean, why wouldn't I want to go try a different game? What would you say? Because we've already talked about this a little bit, and that was basically you asking me what my most accurate handgun was. Yes. Which I, I still don't know the answer to because it's been too cold for me to go out to the range <laughs> and actually Fair put enough. targets out and try it. Um, yes. So, with that being said, then what is it if you if you could give me one piece of advice to work on before we were to go to that match to prepare for that match? What would that be? Um, for you, it'll be there's absolutely no rush. 
um, you'll you'll hear the buzzer or you'll see the visual starts and you'll you'll want to just go 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 and you don't need to. It's it's a very relaxed pace for someone who is a speed shooter. Um, and you know after that it's just a matter. Of, I mean you go prone fast. You you can shoot from around a barricade. You can hit steel targets. It's just a matter of the mental game that goes along. You have to shoot it once to really know it. And it's kind of like what well, you shot steel challenge right. I've shot at like the local level, never national. Okay. But you know how you get juiced for steel challenge because you know that it's like everything's on the line for those five shots? Yes. It's it's like that with Bianchi because you, you can't take a makeup. There's no way to shoot faster or better. You only have the time that you have to shoot the best that you can. So it takes an adjustment, but I'll tell you what, it helps all the rest of your other shooting as well. So you got to do it. I'm telling you. Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. So like I said, I, I do want to go. Absolutely. If we if we get a chance now that now that actually now let me ask you the do they have the same stipulations in Bianchi as they do like USPSA and stuff? So say like if you have a production division, do they have those kind of divisions or or what of is course. it? Yes. In fact, so. most of them try to mirror all the other shooting sports. So we have a production optics division, for example, where the guns that would be legal in USPSA and IDPA are legal there. So it's it you know it's it crosses over pretty easily. Got it. Okay. So in reality, I could shoot whatever divisions I shoot in USPSA and the same for, for Bianchi and stuff. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah. God, see, like, I'm I, again, those, that's a, it's a game I just never got into. I don't know why I've never even shot like steel challenge. I, at the, at the local level we used to do, I had a lot of fun, but. I think it's the timing of it. It's, it's a nationals in May, right? And if you're competing in single stack, that's always bumped up against it. Or if you're competing in steel challenge, that's always bumped up against it. So, um, the timing of it, especially, um, not this USPSA presidency, but previously there were, they overlapped so much that the, you know, people who shot both single stack nationals and Bianchi cup, they had to pick one or the other. And many of them chose USPSA since they shoot it more throughout the year. So. And my, for me, I did it because I'd rather go to a match where I have my my speed to rely on versus having to show everyone how inaccurate I actually can be. <laughs> but you have time. Well, anyway, you should try it. And, and if you want to learn more, I have uh, part of my website, Bulletin X, um, has all of the breakdowns of the different stages and the divisions and everything else that you can check it out. So it's there is a resource. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I might have to look into that because, yeah, I still don't know nearly much, nearly as much about it as I should probably, considering how long I've been in the shooting sports. <laughs> it's all good. Now, all right. Now, um, let's get back to the story just because I'm thinking about it now. You got to take your kiddo on uh, a, a trip of a lifetime, essentially. Yeah. So, so let's let's. Tell, tell us a story about that because this is this is obviously something different than the competition world. Yeah. But as you said earlier, you're like your dad was a big hunter. I know you and your family hunt, and this was just a very awesome story. So I, I tell me all about it. Absolutely. So um, because I've tried to raise awareness and money for our daughter's oldest daughter's disease, a charity called Oconto River Kids reached out to us and offered my daughter the opportunity to hunt both pronghorn and elk in the Red Desert in Wyoming, which is a very, very difficult tag to get. Um, a lot of these states have really great programs out there that help 
kids who have life-threatening diseases go on hunts of a lifetime. And through this charity in particular, we as a whole family got to go out to Wyoming to basically watch her hunt pronghorn and elk. It was really neat. Um, and just there are a lot of great charities out there, whether they're, you know, raising money for Toys for Tots or for hunting charities like O'Connell River Kids that really uh, make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And so if you have the opportunity to support them, I highly recommend it. Perfect. And she was able to fill those tags and help she fill was. your freezer, correct? <laughs> she was. She was. She got a beautiful pronghorn and she had uh, got a very unique old bull who had his, one of his antlers is actually sticking out of the middle of its forehead. He had some sort of like collision probably with another elk at some point. So he's, he's very distinct six by six. So it's pretty cool. And did you guys have him mounted? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Perfect. He's in the stairwell, so you have to duck a little bit. <laughs> we found a space for him. It wasn't easy. They're big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's what I hear. I've, I've seen, obviously, the taxidermy and stuff. I've never had a chance to, to uh, go elk hunting. Uh, obviously, whitetail is, is yeah. what we do big time yeah. here. Now, um, shying away from the competition world into the hunting, since we're into it, what would you suggest someone that wanted to get into hunting as a good first time uh, purchase when it comes to a hunting rifle? Let's mm. talk about it. it doesn't necessarily have to be about brand. If you, if you feel comfortable talking about a brand, then go for it. But really, it comes down to the caliber. Because and the question, I'm, the ultimate question I'm asking is, um, do you go with the FUD 308 round, oh. or do you with the cool no no school you know new school 65 Creedmoor that is just oh so popular? Uh, so I call me old school, but I love 308s and 45s. <laughs> I do. Um, so here's the deal. When it comes to hunting, you have to research what you're hunting first. So if you're shoot, shooting thin skin game or deer or whatever, you, you have to take that into account. And there's certainly calibers that are suitable for it. So our daughter, for example, uses a 243 for deer. Um, she jumps up to jumped up to a 308 for the elk. Um, but that's certainly enough caliber for anything. And, and 308, I like because there are so many different platforms that can then can basically use it. But if you want to be super cool and you you really want to push the envelope, <laughs> you can go with something like 6.5 or or it, it all depends on what you have accessible. And some states don't allow that. They have restrictions on the types of rifles you can use or even calibers. Um, fortunately, in Missouri, we're in a state that allows you to have MSRs or um, ARs to hunt with. So that's my hunting gun of choice. <laughs> but, you know, it all depends. It, it, that Hunting rifles are even harder to recommend than millimeter handguns because there's bolt guns there's you know ar style there there's a bunch of different options and different ways that they the bolt throw goes it's 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 a very personal thing yeah the so something from our company standpoint when we started talking about maybe getting into a hunting line of shotguns and that that's it we're talking about just only shotguns oh my gosh like yeah there, you can't come out with three models to make the entire industry happy because someone's always going to want a different camo pattern someone's always going to want a different barrel length someone's always going to want a different like my goodness and and now that i've gotten into the hunting world i well i mean i kind of see it but i kind of don't because i'm i'm more of the uh does it go bang yes cool i'll use it kind of person right um right right i think i think placement is always a little bit more important than uh than uh the caliber for the most part but um 
I don't know. It's just it was just crazy that we started getting into it, and it was like, all right, we're, so we're coming out with these twelve new shotguns. They're like, yeah, that's not enough. Twelve, yeah, no. not enough. Are you kidding me? I, I know. And then you're competing against some really big, iconic brands that have been around forever, right? It's it's a hard market. It's it's a hard market to be innovative in, which is why I think the different calibers is where the like the last stand, the last you know <laughs> frontier as far as you know rifles are concerned, but. You know, you can't, you, sometimes you can pick up a hunting rifle really cheap for, from somebody that, you know, is wanting to upgrade <laughs> in good old 308. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and, and I was told if you were going to buy your very first, uh, if you're going to buy your first bolt gun, it has to be a 308. Like you can't go straight to the six, five. Cause then you're, you just never get a full appreciation of what that caliber can do. True. But you also have to think about distance, right? So if you're hunting whitetail in the Northeast, for example, or or in other places, I mean, you may not get a shot over 100 yards. And so, you know, that comes into play too. So you can have the coolest, greatest, neatest offering out there. But if you, let me put it this way, our goal in hunting is always to get as close as possible. So <laughs> yes, yeah, that's absolutely. me. <laughs> no. No, you're and you're so there's um, I'm sure you know who Cody Leeper is, who's a a kid I've shot with a lot, especially in three gun. And he's a phenomenal rifle shooter. For those of you that haven't ever heard of him, like you want to learn how to shoot long range rifle. Cody Leeper is a great guy to get in that. And I remember I think it was last year he posted a picture of a mule deer that he shot at like 820 yards or something like that and dropped it. And I, I think that was I, I might have been wrong with the, the yard. All I know is it was further than I would it's have been ridiculous. comfortable pulling the trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I'm comfortable pulling the trigger out. You know, like an AR at 400 yards, I can still I'm still willing to take that shot. But no, once I start getting outside of there, oh, that's just yeah, it's a it's a whole other world. Now, okay, let's talk about that maybe for a second. So we talked about um, hunting different distances and stuff like that. What's the longest shot you've ever taken with a rifle? It was at a Rocky Mountain three gun match. We had a target at like 670 yards, I think. And that's the farthest I've ever shot. I'd never, I'd never really shot anything past 300 in the military. Um, and then, yeah, that, that shot at, at Rocky Mountain three gun. And you took that with your AR? Yeah. That was, what, that what was back in, oh, when was that? It was like 2012, something like that, maybe. Like ten years. Well, ago? I had it been a while ago because if, if you were shoot, if you were shooting three gun, yeah, it was it was a really long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. Mer- do you remember what size the target was that you hit? Oh, I didn't hit it. I don't think. Oh, I did hit it. I did hit it. It was a steel target, I think, um, and it was pretty big. I want to say like an Ipsic size target, or at least an eighteen inch steel, something like that. It was it was pretty large. I was thrilled. <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. Have you ever shot a PRS match? I have not. I have not. I want to one day. I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. See, I, and I think that's because I've never shot one either. Um, Rob Latham, I'm sh- if you ever, if you want Rob is to that point, I think now where like if you ask him about handguns, he's just kind of like, I'm going to give you the shortest pass possible answer so that you're happy and then we can yeah. move on. And then if you <laughs> say something about PRS, boy, kick Pow. your feet up. You're going to be there a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he yeah. Got, he's gotten really heavy into it. Yeah. But I think that's another thing where uh, it's just a different mindset of a game because our game is when the timer goes off, go like get 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 it done as fast as you can versus that game where it's more of 
well, you have four minutes to engage all your targets. Go. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you finish it in two and a half minutes. They're like, great, you still missed four. So, right. you know, whatever. Right. right. But uh, I, I do think that would be something fun to try and try out sometime. I know, uh, yeah, the Vortex guys are, are all about the 6.5 P, what was it, PRC? Yeah, yes. Or even the, the 22 long, you know, precision rifle matches. What are they, NRL, I think it is? Um, those look super fun, too. So there's a lot of fun stuff out there. There's so much fun stuff. There's not enough time. <laughs> there, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the problem. It's like, yes, I, I do want to shoot all these things, but and uh, time and money, because let's yes. be honest, if you, if you show up at a precision 22 rifle match with a Ruger 1022, <laughs> you, you're probably <laughs> like, I don't probably think won't hit as many targets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. yeah, no. But it's it's funny how much we've evolved in, you know, basically the 40 years, 40 to 50 years of awesome shooting. Like back in from the 80s, there were eight matches that you shot and Bianchi was one of them and USPSA Nationals was one of them and Second Chance and they were all different matches. And now we have so many shooting sports with so many different national championships and so many different opportunities to go shoot. It's really cool. No, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I love the fact that there are different options out there because uh, some people don't necessarily want to play the USPSA speed game. Then great than something like Bianchi or whatever, or even, even the new thing like uh, Prairie Fire. Exactly. Exactly. That, that I, you know, to, so you, when you have a lot of options, uh, at least you kind of have a little bit of flavor for, for anyone else to try. If they don't like something about this sport, they can try it over here. You know, if they don't like IDPA, then they can shoot USPSA. They don't like USPSA. They can try IDPA and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, let's discuss. So you, you are planning on doing Bianchi. Uh, not this year, probably not. I will shoot action pistol matches after Bianchi, but I had shoulder surgery uh, not too long ago, and I don't know if I will be cleared. I, I took off my sling for this podcast. <laughs> That's right. I was going to yes. ask you how is how is the shoulder? So was that uh, was it a previous injury that you just kind of suffered through, or is this something that just over time has developed and now you had to finally? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. So like. You know, shooting since I was 14 and, you know, that's 31 years. And I used to help my dad with construction and, you know, we do a lot of DIY around the house and gardening and, and so wear and tear. And then of course that pivotal moment when everything just snapped and broke. So uh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I don't recommend it. Take care of your shoulders, people. Take care of your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We've only got one body, right? Right, exactly. Well, it's funny because, you know, on the range, always eyes and ears, eyes and ears, right? You got to protect your hearing and your eyesight. But over the years, you know, you talk to people who've been shooting for a long time, the arthritis that they develop in their hands and, and you know, if they've shot heavy calibers throughout their life, what that's done to them. And, and so I figure after the amount of time that I've been able to compete and do what I've been able to do, I'm not surprised that my shoulder wore out a little bit. Lots of draws, lots of draws. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. You, you have been shooting quite a while there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I have been. Um, you can call me old. It's okay. I don't mind. I wear my age uh, pride. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't think you're old. I mean, uh, you're you're younger than most buildings. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> so, you know, look at look at the bright side there, right? So. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So once you're healed up, then. Yes. Um, 
what's what's your plan? I mean, obviously, I I would like to see you shoot at some more matches, but uh, like I don't know if you ever shoot area area three. I think is up in Grand Island. I have in the past. It's been a while. You know, right now we enjoy going to action pistol matches with our girls, and both of them are very interested in getting started in shooting as well. And I feel like. Bianchi is a really good place for them because they have a 22 division and it's much more laid back. It's it's not as intense and speed is not the main focus. So we're building up to that. So hopefully we'll add a couple more competitive shooters to the mix. Well, so one of the coolest things about your where you live in now, too, you've got a range in your backyard, right? Yes, yes, we have. We're very fortunate to <laughs> be able to access some some range time very easily, so that's nice. Yeah, if I go in my backyard and start shooting off rounds, <laughs> the cops show up pretty quickly. So. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Make sure that you're with outside county limits and <laughs> do all the things that you need to do. Of course, don't don't do that. Not advocating that, um, but. Yeah, no, we're very fortunate. I, I still spend a lot of time down at Pioneer Gun Club in uh, Kansas City, Bates City specifically, because they have a Bianchi range set up, and it's just you know it's just easier. Everything's perfect set up. I go there, shoot, pick up, leave, you know, and, and so that's nice. And and also to change the environment, I think that's important too. When you get used to shooting in one place and you don't shoot away from that place very often, you can you can develop some nerves from that. So diversity and changing things up, it's a good thing. Mm, yeah. Okay, so real quick, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions here. Is this rapid fire time? Response. Oh, kind of, sort of. All right, I'm gonna make these up as I go, but let's see. Oh here. gosh. All right. Okay. So, single stack or high cap? Single stack. Okay. Iron sights or optics? Optics. Now. Standard outside. <laughs> 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 Standard outside the waistband holster or race holster? Oh, um, like for fun or just like in competition or like anything? Ah, well, if you had to pick for, I would, you know, I just, I read standard holster. I'm not, I don't need a race. I don't need a stinking race holster. Yeah. Nine millimeter or 45. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nine. (laughs) Although I love 45. If you said 40, I'd be like everything but 40. (laughs) Yeah. I think we can all agree. 40 is, is 40 is just holding on by a, a fingernail. And, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> in reality, should just go ahead and, and disappear for the rest of the yes. world. So, all right. Uh, Yankee or USPSA? Well, right now, Yankee, but later USPSA. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> okay. And then Steel Challenge or Three Gun? Steel Challenge. Perfect. Right on. Okay. Well, hey, Julie, it was awesome to to have you on and to to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's been so much fun. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to say here uh, signing off? If you you want to talk about any sponsors or anything that we didn't cover that's that's near and dear to your heart, by all means, take your moment and uh, let everyone know. That's sweet of you. I want to give a shout out to Smith & Wesson, Federal, Trichicon, Caldwell, Tipton, Wheeler, and you for your first episode of this awesome new podcast. Yes, I hope it. I hope it comes across that way because uh, otherwise, then there'll be I don't know one. I'll <laughs> yeah, right? just replay it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Julie, again, thank you so much for being here, and for everyone tuning in, thank you so much. I hope you guys found this one uh, fun, enjoyable, and make sure that you. Yeah, stay tuned, uh, hit whatever notifications you need to be notified when we have some uh, 
some new episodes come out because I do plan on doing all sorts of fun uh, content creations with a lot of awesome people from the industry. So uh, with that being said, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode of...